0: Greetings, everyone. I'm Rev. Liz Testa, and this is Lavish Hope, Stories of Resilience and Overcoming. I'm so excited for you to hear this latest episode with Pastor, Prophet, and Visionary, the Rev. Dr. Denise Kingdom-Greer. Currently, she serves as Pastor of Revitalization and Renewal in Granville, Michigan, and as the Reformed Church in America's Global Missions Coordinator for Sachabello Family and Child Services in Bachabello, South Africa. Overcoming a challenging childhood, Rev. Dr. Greer became a social worker and then went on to become the first African-American female to graduate from Holland, Michigan's Western Theological Seminary with both a Master of Divinity and Doctorate of Ministry degrees. As you will glimpse in today's episode, Pastor Denise is a longtime student of the Word who brings dynamic and prophetic insights to her preaching, teaching, and pastoral life. Let's jump right into this life giving conversation. Here we are on the Lavish Hope podcast. I'm Reverend Liz Testa, and I'm so delighted to have as my guest today the Reverend Dr. Denise Kingdom Greer out on the west side of the state of Michigan. Denise, it's wonderful to have you here on the podcast. Welcome, welcome.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for your kind invitation.
0: You know, Denise, you and I have been traveling together in ministry for some time now, and um, as I think about the topic of lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming, you're somebody that readily comes to mind, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for being such a role model and um, and just a shining star in that area, mm-hmm. and uh, so thanks for also making time today. So yes. let's dig right in. Can you share with us... Um, yeah, I just want to say I'm so excited for our listeners to just be able to sit with you for a spell, as they say, and to hear um, some of your stories and and the passions of your heart and, uh, and just how God moves so powerfully in and through you. So to that end, can you share with us what does resilience mean to you?
1: Well, you know, resilience has become such a buzzword and people are mm-hmm. uh, talking about it, writing about it everywhere. I, I, I've always thought of resilience as sort of the elasticity of the soul. It is the thing that is embedded deep within us that allows us to snap back. I mean, you know, it comes from the Latin word for leaping back. So it's it's easy to come to the definition of elasticity, the capacity to be able to be confronted with adversity and to be able to sort of land on your feet and be ready to to walk forward um, in in spite of and in some, some sense because of.
0: That's amazing. I love that. I love that. Snapping back. And so how has it been shaped by your past experiences and perhaps how has it changed your your idea of resilience and overcoming? Like, how has it been changed and deepened by your experiences?
1: You know, I I can only credit my ancestors um, for the resilience that, that must be embedded in me um, as a child born, um, into a very traumatic, um, situation, having a young mother, um, drug overdosed, um, all sorts of other hard stuff that, that led to her untimely demise shortly after my death. I mean, after my birth, I'm sorry. Yeah. So that in itself could have the capacity to be able to stagnate one and, and to destroy that elasticity. Um, you know, spending five years in foster care and in, in a in a very horrific, abusive setting there, um, coming of age and learning what it is to be adopted with parents that are two generations older than yourself is my story. And, and 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 living in a a place in a space where you know people people said and did the best they knew, but at the same time, you know, not really feeling like the confidence of the community or my family. Um, really um, um, expected um, a level of success from me um, that 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 I had to overcome and I had to reject uh, in order to um, move into common spaces like college and and a professional workforce and now ultimately um, in the church. So I, I, I don't know. Someone says, "Where does it come from?" I mean, I think there are a lot of ways that we can, you know, we can definitely um, strengthen. Um, resilience in young ones. Um, some through mindfulness. Um, some through um, a, a affirmation. Um, some postures and gestures um, that can lend themselves to to strengthening the resilience in, in 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 young ones. So when they get older, hopefully, when trauma, uh, if trauma is able to um, sort of circumvent them, at least until they're an adult, they have the building blocks and they have the sort of um endurance that they need to be able to snap back. But for me, having experienced, you know, these things at such a young age, um, is is why I say I have to credit my ancestors in addition to God's plan for my life, how God took that and and, and was constructing something. I don't think that God caused it or or wanted any of, of those horrific things to happen to me, but that God was taking it and shaping it and using it um for something that God would would have greater purposes for and so that resilience clearly seems to come from God as well as those who who've come before me whose whose blood and spirit still inspire
0: amen can you can you maybe share with us like a specific story of where this resilience and overcoming kind of really really was in full effect as it were
1: Boy, yeah. Well, um, I remember going to college uh, my first year, I went to Shaw University in Raleigh and really not convinced, not not even having any sense of this, any elasticity in me. Mm. I just went to college because I had an opportunity to go. I wasn't convinced that I was capable, competent um, or equipped to be able to do the work that was necessary. And so after my first year, I just bowed out. I just said, you know, they were right about me. And, uh, you know, I don't have what it takes. I'm not college material. I'm not smart enough, competent enough. I'm not enough. Went back home, uh, worked in a paper factory. I also worked a job decorating Christmas tree, um, Christmas trees and mall scenes and things (laughs) like that. (laughs) I've had some crazy jobs in my life. Mm -hmm. That's a whole resilience story in itself. Um, But, you know, so I had a job doing those kind of things. And and I had this moment. I remember at the end of the conveyor belt in this paper factory, where I had just said, you know, this is not, this is not what I'm on earth for. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if you just let me get back into school, you know, then uh, then I'll try, I'll just try, you know. And and I didn't have to do much to get back. So I, I called the school and they said, sure, come back. And I did. And when I came back, I I, I really hunkered uh, hunker down, you know, and really started studying people who studied. I, I found favorite in my advisor, um, who saw something in me who I, I I didn't see. Um, and and I realized that there was something in me that that maybe over the course of these 18 years of my life, I had been free-falling. And, and and it seemed like a moment in time at about that second version of my trip to Shaw where I landed on my feet and I realized that I, I spring back. Um, I realized that there's, there's this stuff in me that, that no one has spoken of and that I didn't know existed, but that is still there. And it's there for my, for my future, for my success, for my purpose, but also to mitigate the trauma in my life so I could be whole and not, not just the person who felt as though, you know, I wasn't enough.
0: That's so powerful. And I think today, you know, in this season of, you know, we're coming through a global pandemic, we think about all the, you know, racial and social injustices that have been just pummeling us uh, even more in the public square and in the the, the public eyes view. Um, we know these things have been going on for a long time, but we're just seeing them even more incessantly now. And so just thinking about all these young people that are going through these challenges, you know? And um, what a great story for them to be considering and thinking about that. I love that, how you, how you both looked within yourself. And then you also, you know, you talk about others that saw things in you and were able to name them and pull them out. And we cannot undervalue that. We cannot undervalue that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so then thinking about, so where, where do you find resilience, Denise, when you don't have it?
1: Well, you know what, Liz, I think I don't think resilience is a thing you can find. I think there's something in us. Uh, again, back to the the, the the analogy of the elasticity, if you think about a rubber band, I think that there's the capacity for resilience in, in all of us as part of it being image bearers of God um, and being human beings. I do think that what happens in this life is our rubber bands get stretched and stretched and stretched to the degree that is no longer able to go back to um, the, the, the state that is intended to be in that can sort of keep us normalized and stabilized um, emotionally. Um, and so I, I think that the things that that help to tighten that elasticity, if you will, um, you know, particularly in these times that you speak of, I've, I find it necessary to unplug. There's just some things that I'm just, I'm just not gonna watch. I, I just can't watch another black man lay on the ground and cry out for his mom. I just, I, I cannot mm. do that. I cannot, um, we went to a museum in, in Detroit, the Underground Railroad Museum, and there was a sort of a space where you could kind of see what the slave cells look the cells of enslaved people looked like. I, I just couldn't do that. I just couldn't allow my rubber band to stretch that much. Um, You know, living in a time when it it can be immediately triggered um, by anything at all. So I I think the goal is less to go in search of resilience, but it's more of developing and finding practices, whether it's deep breathing, whether it's retreat, whether it's your spiritual disciplines, but finding these practices that strengthen um, the the elasticity of the resilience that God has given us so that we can then... um, Operate in a productive way, faithfully, um, in the world. So, where do I find it? You know, I would say probably here about three are about three places. I would say off top. First of all, the Bible. I know I'm a pastor. You expect me to say that. <laughs> I actually do believe the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 one of the stories that that gives me um, the the greatest amount of elasticity, if you will, is the story of Hagar in Genesis 16. Um, She has this moment when she she has this experience with God and she says, behold, I see the God who sees me. There's something profound. There's something intimate. There's something real and raw about being seen. In, in the fullness of who you are, um, not in spite of, you know, we talk about colorblindness and some of these other you know things that we do. They don't allow you to see me. And I think that Hagar's narrative—this God, who was the God of the, my oppressors, has now met me and is my God, and sees me in my fullness, and has given me a purpose. That 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 gives me that gives me the strength to lean in and to find hope and um, and 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 what I think is necessary to to be able to continue to strengthen that that muscle. Another thing, um, you know, that that does it is the children. I'm looking at, you know, these children who are braving it, like going to school every day. These kids are in Mm -hmm. the middle of this mask war, right? I, I don't see very, I don't have very many children weighing in on whether they should wear a mask or not. They just are doing what their parents or what their school or what their system, state, whatever government is telling them to do. And they're doing it. They're showing up. They're putting on their backpacks. They're making it where They're playing sports. They're kicking the ball. They're doing the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, something like there's something in you that is allowing you to do that. My kids, your kids, Liz, your mm-hmm. girls, I'm looking at what these kids are doing and what they're saying in the midst of some of the things they're up against the pandemic, the, they not being able to graduate class of 2020, you know, mm-hmm. all of these things, and they are still plowing forward, you know, so, so, you know, so those two things, um, you know, really give me hope, and, and I think ultimately it's in my own story, like I strengthen my own muscle, you know, when I feel like my, my elasticity is wearing out, I go back to Being five years old and my adopted mom had a dream that she saw my brother and i in and decided these are the kids that god wants us to adopt right i go back to my story of Mm -hmm. sitting on my floor and writing a letter to the national association for the prevention of child abuse and saying i just want to help people like me and watching myself in south africa and doing the work that they're doing there they Mm -hmm. inspire me they Mm -hmm. strengthen my muscle by the ways that they relentlessly in South Africa, Setchabello Family yeah. Child Services, how they continue to do amidst the pandemic, in spite of the effects of apartheid, they still continue to go into hard places and find homes and find loving families and find resources so that the most vulnerable, the orphans in their community can have loving families. These are the places where I find, mm-hmm. I find inspiration. For strengthening of of the resilience within
0: me, you know, Denise. I just think about you, you're you're saying like the third the third thing there is your own story, and I just think about how you mentioned uh, the work you're doing with uh, with South Africa. Can you just give a little quick overview of like how God brought you to that place to do that work with that particular? um agency there and just because it is such that that is such a great I mean talk about hope resilience and overcoming and God's plans and purposes for your life. Can you just I think our our yeah. listeners would love to hear that.
1: Yeah, well, day. you know, so my background before I went to seminary I, I had 10 years experience as a as a social worker and a portion of that was um being a foster care and adoptive worker and then um subsequently um my husband and I became foster adoptive and surrogate parents to other kids. So this was always like in my heart and my soul, my way of saying thank you to God, to the universe, to the ancestors, you know, for bringing me this far along the way. Um, I finished my doctorate in ministry in 2017 um, interrogating apartheid in the, in the American church. And as such, I enjoyed um, Dr. Uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu as my interlocutor, which gave me a window into apartheid in South Africa that I could then transpose onto what my claim about the American church. So when I finished my doctorate, I was kind of like, what am I going to do with my life now? You know, I've already had babies, did that in seminary. Now I have mm-hmm. a doctorate, there's no more degrees to get. And I was scratching my head one day and I decided, I said, you know, I think I want to put South Africa at the top of my bucket list. Actually, mm-hmm. I have no bucket list. So it became the <laughs> beginning of my bucket list. And, and um, I remember Liz, you and I were in Florida, um, giving birth to, to, to another very dynamic project we'll talk about sometime. Um, but anyway, we were down there with a few of us and I mentioned it. And and I remember you just picked up and said, Hey, you know, Global Missions over right here at the RCA. You know, we have a South African project. And I realized that the project director um is a good friend of mine, um, had been a pastor and 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 is just an incredible man of God. And I, I sent him a message and said, Hey, you know, when you decide to go to South Africa again give me a call. I'd love to go. And he called me a couple weeks later and he said, Denise, I have need of you in South Africa. He said, they are asking. Mm. They are asking for us to come and to amass a team and to launch a conference on marriages um, because the church and the communities are suffering because of the fracturing of marriages, because of domestic violence in marriage, and we need proper instruction. And so that was my invitation and my gateway um, to the place where my heart lives in Bochebello, South Africa, which is in the uh, the free state province of, of the fine country. And so after going the first time and bringing, um, having a, a, the opportunity to do the conference, I came back on fire, came back to the RCA, um, had conversation with you, Liz, you remember, and we, mm-hmm. we launched a women's trip. Women's transformation in leadership. She has called South Africa, which was which was incredible, and really opened up the door and, and allowed us to pivot. When the when the director, the person who's now I'm in her position, um, she decided to move on to other things. You know, all eyes and, and fingers pointed toward me and said, Denise is who we need. She knows the orphan story. You know, I'd fallen in love with the struggle. I'd fallen in love with the staff. I'd fallen in love with the work, the language everything and so I was grateful to God for the church I was serving at that time who was able to say hey let's make it work we don't we don't want you to walk away so stay with us and let's do this together and so now yep yeah, it's been it's been almost four years that I've been working on this project and I've been traveling to South Africa except for the pandemic. Um and you know speaking of resilience I want to say this at the beginning of the pandemic I did just return from South Africa on February 28th right before lockdown mm-hmm. and um and so when 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 we heard about, you know, the country of South Africa shutting down and it really shut down, like all the stores, you couldn't be on the streets. You know, it was just really a lot more serious than a lot of us ha- had to know where we live. Um, and I was just so burdened, weary, like, you know, in my spirit and just praying and just, you know, for my people that they would get the food, they needed resources and that domestic violence would be held at bay. Because, you know, all of these things. And the Lord spoke to me. And, you know, I think sometimes the Lord kind of laughs at at me a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I felt like the Lord said to me, Denise, these people have survived apartheid. They have survived HIV AIDS. They have been around. I have been keeping them for civilizations for much longer than your country is old. Right. You keep on praying, darling. (laughs) But I got them. They're going to be all right. And that's the picture of resilience. You know, this the 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 journey that 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 these folks in South Africa, particularly the Black and, and colored folks in South Africa have been through, is a picture of resilience for the world.
0: Incredible. And so true. I mean, that yeah. is, it is so powerful. And, and I just marvel at how God gave you that opportunity to go there and just to see so clearly how you could come alongside what God was already doing there and yes. already, right, the ways that God has already been um working in among the good people there and that you can be part of that that like mm-hmm. and that was a calling right like long before you calling. knew what it actually was exactly there. i
1: mean it was for me I, I felt like more than for them they they probably wouldn't say that but i mean when i entered into the experience of worship there When, you know, praying and singing and and seeing the work, the way people are really living, laying down their lives, bringing good news to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, they are actually doing the the, the work that Jesus has called us to do. Not metaphorically, like we can kind of get into sometimes, but literally laying down their lives, you know, every day for the sake of orphans. It's just remarkable. I am just so grateful to behold it with my eyes and for God to trust me. To participate with it mm-hmm. and 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 not mess it up. <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> just just don't make a mess, Denise. Don't make a mess. Yes.
0: So uh, it feels like you've already been sharing like a place where you find hope. That this is a place where you find hope. But just to see if there is there anywhere else that you'd want to share um, places where you find hope.
1: Wow. You know, I decided that. Um, that if we're going to find hope, we definitely have to pursue it. Um, I think often we expect for hope to just come upon us and we're just going to be like, oh, there's hope, you know, Mm -hmm. but really to pursue it. Um, So, you know, I think about the neighborhood where I live and I see people um, who might not ordinarily um, interact with each other because of all kinds of differences. I see people walking together. I see people liking together. I see people loving each other together. And and, and that gives me hope because I think Mm. our country's elasticity has been stretched out of shape.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And in some ways, the body of Christ has an elasticity that's been bent out of shape. So I I look at the the larger picture of how people are uh, pushing back against the forces that want to uh, that want to um that want to keep um us from being able to land on our feet um yeah, as a church good. or as a country and i see people just resisting just choosing to love anyway choosing to be present anyway choosing not to take a side anyway you know um i, I just started a, a new position i'm i'm here Uh, at a Mars Hill Bible Church in Granville and Grand Rapids, Michigan, not not the Mars Hill on the west side of the country. Um, uh, And I've been here only for a couple of weeks, but just being here uh, with this amazing staff as pastor of mobilization and renewal um, around community engagement and what some people call outreach, really being able to see the way uh, a church can really partner with community, partner with grassroots organizations, partner with global um, um, initiatives uh, to to be able to to say the kingdom of God has come and we're going to participate in it together with, yes, with money, but with more than money, with bodies, with our prayers, with our heart, with our lives, with showing up, you know? And so in these few days that I've been here, this has been a well of hope for me um, that, that God is moving, um, in, in churches, which, Mm -hmm. which I knew that we knew that. I I certainly knew that in a church I, you know, I pastored previously, you know, but this is a different kind of hope for a church on this level, Mm -hmm. um, for this massive amount of people, massive for West Michigan amount of people to collectively, um, draw together their funds and their resources and their staff and, and what they have, um, in order to draw a picture um, of, of, of the world that invites us as I'm, as our, uh, our motto says um, to be Jesus people for the sake of the world. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that we would claim that for ourselves mm-hmm. and feel like God is, is, is expecting us to live up to that. That's a mm-hmm. well of hope for me. And I'm hopeful for the days ahead that I get to serve here.
0: That's so beautiful. As you're painting that picture of where that well of hope, it just really compels me that it is about being doers of the word, right? Not just hearers. Mm-hmm. There's something there about the action, and yeah. I think that's you know sometimes we get caught in um, sort of the the theology or the theory or the headiness of it, and the actual being able to incarnate the ministry, right? Being able to incarnate um, being a follower of Jesus, and I think that. You know, that we've got listeners out there who perhaps don't, um, they're not churchy types. They don't, you know, they're not going to church regularly, but they want to live this. They 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 are followers of the way. yes, um, As the Quakers say, they are followers of Jesus. And so that you can do that in your, you know, we, we want people to have that sense of a spiritual home, a spiritual community, but you can live out your life um, as a Christian in your, in, in this partnering with people locally and globally and being able to go out and embrace your neighbors and to, um, just to be able to do all the things you were naming about, you know, the kingdom of God is here. That is hopeful. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a powerful message for us today and all the different ways, you know, that we're living. Right.
1: Right. 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 Well, I think in fact, it's not even that we can, it's that we should,
0: Mm-hmm. You know, if,
1: if if we're gonna live like Jesus, I mean, you know, if we're gonna be Jesus people, which we're we're supposed to be. We're called to be. Um, so we, we should. Uh, of course, there's always the caution um, and possibility that we we go forth in arrogance, we go forth um, sort of objectifying, and this is what I say when I go to South Africa. I don't want to mess it up. You know, we, right. we go in and we. We lord over people, you know, so we, we, we need to go as Jesus goes, right, yes. um, so that people might have hope, so we, we, we show up at the well in Samaria, and we make ourselves vulnerable, and we engage the conflict, right, and then we move forward, praying and hoping by God's grace that that person will ultimately um, receive the sort of hope that will make them ask themselves, could this Jesus you're talking about really be the Messiah, mm-hmm. right, that's the goal. That people might see that more than that they get a coat, more than that they get their bucket of water or whatever they thought they came for, that they might come and say, could, could it be mm-hmm. that this Jesus, this historical figure really is living and breathing and is the word of God for us, mm-hmm. right? And for our salvation, could it be that he really does love me and is God and is inviting me in full participation in his life mm-hmm. and in his kingdom? Is that mm-hmm. possible? Because if that's possible, I want to know about it, mm-hmm. right? That's where the hope lies. Yes. And that's, that's, that's you know what was offered to me at 15 years old when I didn't know anything about God or any of that. Um, And so that's the hope I was able to, to lean into. And that's the hope that we should be able to, we ought to mm-hmm. uh, provide, carry with us as we go forth into varying places mm-hmm. in the community and in our world.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. And so it's so important for us to hold fast to that to that calling, that sense of call and purpose. So um, you've already mentioned a few different uh, scripture stories, scripture verses, but do you have any favorite verse or perhaps another quote by a a wisdom writer out there that inspires you to embrace hope and be resilient?
1: So my favorite scripture is John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this. Then one would lay down their life for their friends. And uh, Jesus says to his disciples, you know, I, I, I call you my friends and um, I, I don't try to get too friendly with God necessarily. I think we can get too fast and loose with that. But but it does talk about God's love and God's great affection for me in particular, and for us as God's people. And that that is the thing that that I endure and I I embrace uh, more than anything. Um, one other thing, one other literary piece that really inspires me is in a book um, called Beloved um, by Toni Morrison. And in that book, uh, there's a figure whose name is Baby Suggs, Baby Soogs Holy. And Baby Suggs. she's the, the woman in the community who always keeps a light on for a stranger, always has a little pot of soup on the, the back burner on low, just in case <laughs> somebody gets hungry. This is in the book. Um, but there's this part when she calls forth, she calls for the community and she claps her hands and she lifts them up and. They've been beaten by being enslaved and weariness of life. And she lifts them up and she claps them. And then she says, let the children come. And she invites the children to come and let the, let the mothers come. And she invites the children to, to laugh and invites the women to weep and invites the men to dance. and tells them the grace you have is the grace that you will receive. In other words, you have all the grace you need to be able to live into the flourishing and the abundance that comes from this life that has been given to you, no no matter how difficult it may seem. And so these are words that inspire me always. It inspires me to look to the women and to the men and to the the, uh, siblings and to the children and expect to see hope, expect Mm -hmm. to see joy, look for joy. Search it out if you must. And And know that the grace that you have The abundant grace of God in Jesus Christ that has been given to us is enough. We don't have to worry about lack. We don't have to grasp it and hold it and lock it down. The grace we have received is enough grace for us. And so that's what I offer to you all today. Um, And um, invite you to continue to to look for hope. Um, And when you find it, grab it, hold it close to yourself in order that it might strengthen the elasticity that is within you, within all of us collectively, in order that we might land on our feet and declare together, we are enough. We have enough.
0: Mm. Amen and amen. Thank you, preacher. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good word. That's a good word about cultivating hope, finding hope. And holding on to hope. So thank you so much for that. Um, as we conclude our interview, uh, I always ask my um, my guests if you have a project or a product of some kind or anything that you're working on that you want to share with our listeners. I know you already shared so deeply about um, what you're doing in South Africa, but is there anything else you want to share with us today?
1: Well, uh, about a year ago, I cultivated a project called the First Corinthians 13 Project, 1 COR Project. Um, and it really centers the health, healing, and wholeness of Black people in particular for the flourishing of the entire community. Um, I haven't refreshed it lately. As you see, I've just started a new job, so I've got a lot of things going on, but you will find there it to be a, a process um, that can, can lead the church in a way of interrogating our relationship to, um, to, to the Black community um, and this is not just white churches. This is also black churches with their own communities and their own churches. It's also a process to help move us through a season of repentance, from re- rehearsing to reminding to remembering. All of those themes are defined. And then ultimately, it's a place to just find some resources. If you want to know what what's, what what are we reading? What should I read? What should I who should I pay attention to? What what music is, is, is really um, speaking into this? these days that's a great one-stop shop to just um to just go check out in the meantime there's also a survey there and the survey can help you determine kind of maybe where you are on a continuum between being i'm not yet ready to talk about this and i'd like to be an ally to i'm really prepared to be a freedom fighter and bring my whole body and my whole self to the work so i invite you to go one core13project.com and, um, and and leave me a message. And let me know that you that you stopped by, that you heard the podcast, and um, any other input or uh, constructive criticism you might have. I'm here to receive it.
0: That's great. Thanks, Denise. And you know, our ministry over here, uh, women's transformation, leadership, dismantling racism. We started that whole arm of the Dismantling Racism Prayer Movement out of our time spent with you last summer as you were developing this. So I just want to champion that and say thank you because mm-hmm. um, publicly because it we are coming up on our one-year anniversary of doing this Dismantling Racism Prayer Movement, and it really has made an incredible difference in our historic denomination to start to do that hard work of remembering, reminding, um, and we're moving towards the, you know, the, uh, the remembering, um, but the rehearsing, you call it rehearsing. The first step is rehearsing, but for us mm-hmm. to be able to move forward, um, and, uh, and dismantle some of the, the systems systemic oppression. So thank you yeah. for that so much, Reverend Dr. Denise Kingdom Greer. Thank you so much for oh, being here you. today. Um, I know you have blessed our listeners greatly and, um, God bless you in your new, your new role and in all the different things that you're doing. And also to your home, your beautiful children and your sweet little doggy too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Liz. Same to you. God bless you and your family and all you listeners out there. I pray that you would ever feel the presence of God with you, on you, before you, behind you, and beside you for God's glory. God bless you all. Take care.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope more than anything, this episode has brought you one step closer to considering what lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming mean to you in your own life. You can connect with Pastor Denise on social via the 1 Corinthians 13 Project at 1COR13Project.com or her South Africa mission page found on rca.org front slash global mission. However you connect, she'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this Lavish Hope podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and reshare any place you're on social. You can also connect with me, Liz Testa, directly at ltesta at rca.org. This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on scripture and church, stories about how other Christians are following God's call and resources to bring your own church or organization along for the ride. The Lavish Hope Podcast is produced by Anna Radcliffe with assistant production by Lorraine Parker, sound design by Garrett Steyer, and web support by Grace Reuter and Barb Ellis.